Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined in this episode by Mistress Adrina Angela, a professional dominatrix, model, and educator. I don't know if you're eager to listen to this, but I'm so eager for this conversation. Hi, Adrina. How are you? Hi, I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Oh, should I be calling you Mistress Adrina? Adrina is absolutely fine, yeah. <laughs> you're not inside my studio, so you're all good. <laughs> so if I were in a studio, it had to be Mistress? Mistress is preferred, yes. Mm -hmm. A bit um, personal, I think, when my Mrs. Corwin Bonham says me. Makes sense. I'd like to have that, yeah. Establish the authority. <laughs> mm, I like that. Um, so I have, I, th I think for me, this is a very interesting thing, which is how did you go from being a pastry chef to a dominatrix? <laughs> sort of by accident, predominantly. Yes, <laughs> always my answer. Um, it wasn't a huge surprise in so much as I've been on the fetish scene for about 15 years. I was modeling performing on the side um, for a long time anyway. But um, I guess when you're a chef, obviously it is notoriously badly paid. And I was invited to a foot worship party, which is essentially like a foot equivalent of a strip club. And as I was already familiar with the king scene, it's part of my life, uh, I know she's doing it. And started to do those and it sort of just took off from there. I started to offer private sessions just from my bedroom, like one-on-one -on -one foot worship. And obviously a lot of the men who are into feet are submissive, so they started to ask for different things, if I could, you know, be a bit more done and all of that. And eventually I got so busy with that that I had to <laughs> make the decision between my day job and doming. And obviously, sadly, uh, chefing didn't really stand a chance. <laughs> I quit and have not looked back. I like that. So do you love what you do? I do. Yeah, I do. Just like, I think with sex work, people think you have to love every single second of it or it's, you know, abusive or people are being, um, you know, used or whatever. But it's like any other job where some days it feels like a job. You know, you're a bit hungover or you're just a bit tired and you can't face putting on makeup, that sort of thing. But for the most part, I really love my job and I consider myself so lucky that I get to do what I love and make money from it. <laughs> it still seems a bit surreal at times. Oh, yes. I, I understand that because I actually don't think of dominatrix like being a dom has a sex work because it's a more it's very mental isn't it more than physical very much so but i think sex work can be i think sex work covers a huge spectrum of practices you know like technically i guess certain types of sexual therapy and massage that sort of thing so it really does cover a very broad spectrum but it's yeah less of, it's a less obvious and far more psychological like based practice for sure before we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, being a dom, which I'm sure everybody's eager to learn, I know you also teach a class on how to open up relationships. So what kinds of people come to you and what are they usually looking to get out of the experience? Well, so I teach privately and I also teach for Coco de Mer, which is a like an erotic emporium in Covent Garden. So the clientele there are much more kind of slightly older 
more affluent people. I tend to make the class a little bit gentler for that audience, more sexy rather than too full on. Um, but then I also get a lot of couples come to me independently to the studio. And it's usually people who have, I find, lost confidence in their sexuality at some point or have maybe been in a relationship for a long time and, um, you know, it's got a bit stagnant or they, they're kind of not really sure how to freshen things up or change the direction of their relationships. So, yeah, it's predominantly couples who are looking to explore them. Interesting. So at what stage of the relationship do you believe that people should discuss their sexual desires and kinks? Oh, ideally very, very early. It's usually one of the first conversations for me. And obviously if you've just met someone, it's a bit intense, isn't it? To like go straight in with what you're into, maybe a bit presumptuous. But I do think it's firstly, you know, when I teach a class, one of the very first points I come to is, and one of the most important things is communication. Like I think communication is absolutely integral to sexual relationships and also to relationships in general. It's probably one of the most important healthy things to have. And so I really do think it's important to have open dialogues about these sorts of things. You're going to have a much healthier relationship. And it's important to do it earlier because the earlier you do it, the less you're likely to come to a stumbling block or um, find it incompatible um, or add in things that are just like shock to one party. So, yeah, I think it's very early. As soon as you're in a place where you're comfortable to talk about sexuality and that it's consensual and not presumptuous, I think the sooner the better. I personally struggle not to talk about sex, so there's no surprises, I think, with me. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I think the hard part is how do we how do you empower that partner to you know open up to something that personal? Do you have any tips on that? I mean, like I said, communication is the most important thing. Honest communication, um, and that begins with yourself. Like before, I think you need to, you have a conversation with your partner. It's important to have a conversation with yourself to know what you're looking to achieve, what you want, what your limits are. You have to be aware of that so you can ask that from your partner. Um, I think it's important to ascertain the strengths and weaknesses in a relationship. So what makes it strong, what you need to work on, and be aware of that before you then have that conversation. Because maybe if your partner's a bit shy on you, you need to step back and be more gentle with them, be more understanding, move slower, that sort of thing. Um, and it's important to give them confidence. So again, if you're worried about how your partner might respond, when they're comfortable Introduce it slowly. Don't expect anything from them. Don't make them feel bad or don't feel bad if you do have contrasting views. If there's something you're really, really into and they don't like it, not to judge them for that or vice versa. If your partner's in something that you don't like, to accept that you're going to be different and not to either feel ashamed that you can't accommodate or embarrassed about them being into that sort of thing. But yeah, I think to make sure that your partner feels confident and safe in a relationship and you're more willing to talk and be open and relaxed. It's probably an important step. You know, what's interesting is that when I think about, I personally think about dominatrix, I don't think about somebody that's going to work with couples, yet you do that work. Yeah, I guess when I started, it wouldn't have really, I wouldn't have assumed so as well. And obviously my main clientele is men obviously, but I'm actually getting more and more couples and my work, I personally specialize in what I call like kink positive nurturing domination. 
And so it really is going into more therapeutic, holistic route. And it is, yeah, leaning into the directions of couples therapy and sex therapy. Uh, I deal a lot with kind of sexual shame and overcoming that and celebrating sexuality. And so I think my particular style has wandered into into the direction of couples a lot more. Um, I definitely find it very fulfilling. Interesting. And when you are with couples, either on the classes that you teach or while you're doming, you know, what are the signs that you see that a couple is ready to open the relationship or to which type of couples would you suggest to open the relationship? Why would they benefit from that? Um, I think couples, you have to be doing it for the right reasons. And I'm luckily the majority of people I've come to me have done um, you can usually tell it's couples that, and I'm, and I'm going to keep going on about it, that communicate well. They're excited to be doing it, like really excited to explore it together. And yeah, they're excited to do it together, like for each other as something that their main end goal is to be stronger together, not to do something that's exciting or to be with someone else. It's to strengthen what they have at the end of it. And I get a lot of couples saying that it's enhanced or improved their sexual and romantic lives outside of the session we've had because it's meant that it's kind of invigorated their sex life or it's made them, you know, feel closer to each other or, um, you know, like they've pushed some kind of boundary. Um, occasionally you do get someone where you get the impression it's happening for the wrong reasons and that's usually maybe one partner really, really wanting it and the other one wanting to appease them or something like that. Um, and that I would, you know, never encourage and I'd always address that by trying focusing more on the party who seems a bit reticent, giving them a lot more attention, trying to ascertain what they want and what excites them. Um but it's actually really lovely to see most of the time you do see couples who are just excited to be trying new things together. Interesting. So when you say try things for the right reasons, you're saying do not open your relationship if something is wrong with the relationship or if yeah, you just want to be with other people. That's it. Don't do it just to please someone else, which I think it happens a lot. It's like the threesomes, you know, when you have a threesome and you can see that one of the partners just trying to please the other partner and that's just like the worst thing. <laughs> it's such a vibe killer. You've got to be doing it for yourself. You've got to be like really into it and you've got to do it to like strengthen your mutual relationship, not just please someone else or to please yourself, of course. Interesting. I, I, I like that because a lot of people think that, you know, uh, an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship is cheating on a partner, but it's actually the opposite, right? It's it's thinking about bettering the relationship. Absolutely. I think a lot of people in general think that open relationships or polyamorous relationships are about sex. And they're, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but predominantly not. You know, it's polyamory, it's about love, it's about uh, exploring rather than relationships. And there's a difference between polyamory and swinging. And it's it's not just about having sex with other people. And there will be people who will try and use as an excuse to, you know, sleep around. For the most part, that's not what's happening. Interesting. I'm not sure if you mind sharing this or not, but do you have experience? Yeah, there's pretty much nothing I may talk about, don't worry. <laughs> that's <laughs> um, good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like no boundaries. <laughs> um, yes, yes, I've for the past eight or so years been in and out of either open relationships or polyamorous relationships. My last relationship was a polyamorous one. Yeah, 
Can you tell us, first of all, what are the advantages of being in an open relationship or polyamorous relationship versus a, um, a monogamous one? Sure. I mean, I've just always been of the belief that like, the idea of being with one person forever, personally, it's a beautiful idea. I love it. Um, and by that, I mean just one person. Because I like the idea of having a primary partner. You know, I like the idea of being with someone forever. That seems unattainable, but it's a nice idea. But the idea of being just one person, I find slightly terrifying. And that's predominantly because I, I just believe that love isn't finite. I, I don't believe that humans were created. We have an abundance of love. We have so many facets to our personality and who we are. But I don't believe that we were designed to just love one person and one person only. I think the more love that you give, the more love that you can create, the more love you have around you, and that can only be a positive thing. Um, I think there are different types of love, and there are you get different things from different people. And so if it's right for you, and it isn't right for everyone, but if it's right for you, it's healthier and happier to explore as much love as you can. I understand that. Uh, I'm trying, like you were saying, you get scared of thinking, you know, being with only one person for the rest of your life. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm just greedy. <laughs> I have the same feeling, but the other way around. So I am in a monogamous relationship and my, I had, I think I'd be very scared of being very um, jealous that the other person might stop liking me. Is this like a normal feeling? Yes, completely normal, completely normal. And I think it's a few things. Like firstly, polyamory isn't for everyone. I'm not like when I talk about the pros of it, I, I try and like explain why people do it, but I, I completely think that it isn't for everyone. And I'm not trying to force it on people. Um, some people are very like, you know, serial monogamous. And I think that's really lovely. And I have so much respect slash envy for these people. And I do also think I could do, you know, monogamous relationships if that was, it was right with that person. Um, but you know, the same issues apply for monogamous relationships, don't they? You still have to fear that the person might at some point stop loving you or you might stop loving them. There's always issues around jealousy and unfortunately things like cheating exist. So the issues faced in polyamorous relationships are actually exactly the same issues as faced in monogamous relationships. But if anything, the one difference is that generally there are open streams of communication which you would hope might prevent these things happening. You know, if you're you're with someone, you can turn around and say to your partner, actually, I'm very attracted to this person, I'm in love with them. You can either readdress those relationships or that's actually a positive, accepted thing. Of course, it is entirely possible that you are setting yourself up for a situation whereby you or your partner has access to someone else and falls in love and you then end up losing them. But those risks apply in monogamous relationships too. So I think that's just love, isn't it? So if somebody's eager to explore polyamory or an open relationship, what rules do you think they should not step on? Um, okay, so firstly, they should come to my classes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because I actually operate on a ten, like a Ten Commandments thing, which is a list of do's and don'ts, like things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do. Um, one of the things that I consider the most important is to don't be scared off by mistakes because inevitably in relationships, we all make mistakes. And when you're trying something new and you're opening something up and going in a new direction, you're bound to, on some level, make a mistake. And I think the most important thing is rather than to, it's so easy that if something, you know, you try something and then you don't enjoy it or it upsets your partner or it made you uncomfortable 
or you feel like it wasn't for you, rather than being like, oh, God, I hated that. This was a mistake. We shouldn't be trying this. Close it down. Use a mistake as just a way of finding a different path. So maybe step back a bit and take a slightly different path. So, for example, if your partner goes on a date with someone else and you think you find it exciting, but actually at the time you find it quite uncomfortable and you're quite hurt by it, instead of being like, oh, God, we tried polyamory, hated it, that's it, and beat yourself up about it, firstly, don't blame yourself, don't blame your partner, but maybe think, well, that wasn't right for me, so maybe in the future... If my partner's going to meet someone else, I need to be there. Maybe we should try going on a three-way like three date where I am there and it's about three of us together. Just step back, try something different, and don't let it you know, ruin the experience or give you negative memories of that experience. That's definitely one thing I would recommend people. Of course, and if everybody wants to learn more, definitely the class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Or plug. laughs> So I think this is the part where everybody is, you know, bursting with desire to know a little bit more about the Dom world. So yes. how much of your work is focused on helping people unlock their kinks and desires? I would say pretty much all of it. That is absolutely the focus of what I do. I would say that um, the purpose of my work isn't just to help people accept their sexuality, it's to celebrate it. I love perverts, I love king, I love all the facets of people's sexuality and so I love exploring with people and I think that everything that I'm doing in the studio is that, yeah. So when you say that you help people unlock their kinks and desires, what does this mean? Do you explore what they want and you give them that? Yes, yeah, generally if, if it's within what I offer, which is most things, <laughs> to be honest. Um, then yes, absolutely. I'll usually talk to them in advance. I'll discuss what their kinks are, um, what they're expecting from a session, and most importantly, their limits, so what they definitely won't want to explore. And then I will tailor a session around, you know, tailored to them and what they like and what they want to play with. And what if people don't know what they like, but they want to explore new things? That I get a lot. In fact, I've been catching up on a huge backlog of submissions this morning, and a lot of them are actually newcomers, and a lot of them were incredibly vague, which obviously for me when I'm trying to design a session is on some level very frustrating, but I understand if you're new to it, how can you know what you want? You know, you can't come in with a checklist of what you're into if you've never tried it before. So I try to be understanding of that, and I'll usually ask a lot of questions. And that'll be along the lines of, are you looking for more psychological play? So like humiliation, cuckolding, um, tease and denial, that sort of thing. Are you looking for more physical play, like spanking, impact play, uh, pegging, that sort of thing? Um, I'll try and push to their limits to find out what they know they don't want to explore. Um, kind of run various scenarios by them to see what like excites them. I might ask them what inspired them to contact a dominatrix or when they realized that they had some form of kinky leanings to try and draw out of them what it is that they might actually be looking for. Are people that uh, look for your services, do they always look for pain or that's a misconception of people of dominatrix? No, definitely not. Definitely not. And, you know, there are lots of different types of Dom, and I always say that you can't just find one on the internet and go for it. You've got to window shop 
Did I find the right one for you? Because we do predominantly all have different styles. And you get, you know, humiliatrixes, you get ones who just do bindom, you get ones who specialize in things like dining discipline. In my experience, the majority of people who come to me don't want pain. Obviously, I do inflict pain. I do a lot of impact play with pain and enjoy that. But because I specialize in looking positive stuff and much more of a psychological domination and sensual domination, I tend to get more people who are into the sensual side of things. So more erotic play, things like anal play, um, tie and tease, uh, bondage, that sort of thing, much less of the pain. But yeah, I get a lot of people actually email me and say, I really want this experience, but I don't like pain. Is that okay? Or like apologizing for not being into pain. And actually in my experience, the majority of people who come to me, um, yeah, it's definitely not an integral part of kink. It's just one large division of what's out there. And your your job is much more giving than receiving, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, very, very much so. Um, I might get the occasional foot rub. <laughs> But no, it's definitely, I think that's the irony of domination. And I think anyone who is really in touch with what they're doing knows that we are the service provider. Um, and no matter how much it's dressed up as, you know, them serving us and them being our submissives, we are providing service and we are catering to their needs. And so to a degree, they are the ones that hold a lot of the power. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you know when something is too much? So obviously you try to explore people's limits, mm. but how do you know that you're not exploring it too much? That's a really interesting question and actually a really good question because you always, one thing dealing with in particular men is you deal with a lot of frustration. So, you know, things like we are saying earlier, vagueness is I want to be dominated. So like, oh, man, what does that even mean? That could be literally anything. Um, and another thing is, yeah, people having limits, but then being like, I want my limits pushed. Like they're, they're very often you have people say, I want my limits pushed, which you completely understand, but it's obviously morally quite complex for the person providing the service because you have to know that you're pushing their limits without pushing beyond their limits. Because one thing to me is really important is to never push someone outside of the comfort zone or, you know, into a place that they're not happy with. So that is actually quite difficult um, because if you don't push them enough, they're not going to be satisfied, you push them too much and you potentially traumatize them. So I think the key thing is you kind of get adept to reading people's body language um, and knowing when they're comfortable, when they're not, when they're starting to seize up, when they look a bit panicked, reading their breathing, um, and kind of slowly edging towards the edge of their limits. So like, you know, like you're feeling it out and taste testing it. I, as a general rule, rarely use safe words. I find them, you know, as a, they can be, seem a bit affected and they often aren't really necessary. But in certain contexts where, for example, you might have someone who's screaming a lot or crying out or wriggling, having a safe word makes you know when they're just crying out because it helps them or they enjoy to act up and when they're actually in pain and it's too much. So you can either use a direct safe word or I will often just say to someone so it's more authentic and organic, when it start, if you start to become uncomfortable, when we're towards the edge of what you can take, 
just let me know. And, you know, then they can just be like, okay, okay, that's good. And you know, you can just bring it down a little bit. It's almost like a traffic light system, you know, green, orange, red. Like, this is good. I'm not really sure. I'm getting to the edges. Oh my God, stop. You know? <laughs> Yes, because because I was reading a, a lot before our interview, uh, you know about about doms. I've never been to to a session, and I, I read that a lot of people, a lot of doms, don't have a safe word, and that made me a little bit worried. You know, how do you get to a point where you're sure that you're not pushing that person too hard? There was even a, a dom that was saying that was it was written on their website that I will make you do this even if you beg me not to. Oh wow! Yeah, that's interesting because that is potentially ethically questionable in fact like on in on paper that's very ethically questionable my only hope or thought is that maybe it's that's part of a fantasy there's definitely a lot of men's fantasies that are i just do what i want you don't get a choice you're entering into this scary situation but i would genuinely hope that no one would actually practice that I have definitely heard anecdotes from subs. I had one the other day come in where he went for a session and she basically didn't listen at all to his limits or what he was or wasn't into. And he eventually had to leave because it was just too much for him. And for me, that sort of thing is absolutely mind-blowing, like horrifying. I couldn't imagine doing that. Um, Like I said, I don't often use safe words. That's because I don't think I, I need them. I always work in a way and practice that, that I consider safe and respectful of the limits that I know. Um, but yeah, to actively not use safe words, I, I don't really condone. Interesting. And you know, for somebody like me that's never been to 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 a dom session, how how do how can somebody know that they would enjoy it? You know, what are the the ticks that somebody can can be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. How do people first time know? And, you know, you definitely get situations where people want to try something and then they're like, I did not like that. And I think like, generally more with, uh, with more experienced people, that's something that they, they do. They will push their, their boundaries, they'll try their things. But for someone who's new to it, I guess it's um, following your natural sexual leanings. Um, a lot of people will stumble across pornography that involves femdom and will instantly find that they're aroused to it. I hear anecdotes a lot about people who will, you know, watch one video and then sort of be excited by it, so then watch more and then watch more and then realize, say, maybe they saw a bit of foot worship in a porn clip and then suddenly they were watching more and more and more and so they're just watching foot-themed clips and then they realize that they have a foot fetish. And then other people, I think particularly more these days, I think the way people approach sexuality and kink is different. I think the internet's changed that massively, but I think it's become more acceptable and more accessible. And because of that, you get a lot more people who, you know, just want to try something new or identify that they may be not quite satisfied in the state of their sex life, or they might think they might not necessarily actively know that they like spanking or that they like you know whatever else but they'll be aware that they maybe want to feel out of control or they want to explore a situation where they're pushed into an uncomfortable dynamic for them or where someone else leads sexually that sort of thing i think i've noticed that's becoming more common and can a session be vanilla but still like breaking boundaries for that specific person or is it like more kinky I mean, obviously, predominantly I do in kinky stuff. 
but a session can be pretty much when anyone wants it to be. And so, I mean, I get a lot more women recently and women can be really hardcore, but often want gentle stuff. They might just want a kind of a sexual experience with another woman. And because they're shy about that, they want the woman to take the lead and therefore they go to the dom. So, yeah, it really can. I mean, again, I guess it depends on the service provider that you're going to. But it really depends on what you want. And if you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, um, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily what I would consider kinky, which might be a very different thing. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> can you can you share with us like an experience that you've had with a client, obviously anonymous, but that you know their their end goal was so different than what they expected, and how that might have changed them? Um, I'm sure I have a lot of those that have thought about it, but um, I guess I have one guy who he's, in fact, a couple, so I guess it makes it more generic, who comes to me very, very nervous and very shy and often with kind of lacking in self-confidence or sexual confidence. And, you know, often at the first session, they won't even fully undress. You know, usually my clients are completely naked, but some of them, they, they don't feel comfortable even being naked in front of me. Um, they won't let me touch them. And I have one of them who's so shy, you know, they don't even really make eye contact with you. And then, yeah, which definitely makes it harder. It makes it a lot harder to engage when someone's so nervy that, it's, you, you know, you feel like you're performing to a wall sometimes. Air quotes, can you make them look at you? Oh, yeah, I enjoy doing that. It's forced eye contact, I love, yeah. <laughs> um, I make a disturbing amounts of eye contact. So. But, um, yeah, and then watching them over the months come out of their shell and start to embrace new things and to be comfortable naked and even, like, responsive is really amazing to watch and sometimes completely unexpected. And sometimes they'll really surprise you in the directions that they'll take. Um, they'll suddenly turn around to you one day and tell you that you want to try X. And it's something that five months ago they would never have dreamed of. So, yeah, that's always amazing to see. On the other side, and because, you know, a lot of people think that the Dom has all the power, have you had uncomfortable situations where your clients seem to think that they can do what they want with you and with the session? Yes, not often. I would definitely say not often. And I, I don't know if it's unrealistic optimism, but I generally feel very safe in my space. And I tend not to worry about my safety too much in advance. I find I'm, I'm fortunate that in you know my position, the amount of work I have, I can say no and I can be selected. And whilst there are no real practical formal ways of vetting clients, you know, you can't ask, I, I can't ask for ID or anything. Um, you develop over a long term kind of a sixth sense. And that's really how I vet. And I don't think people realize when they email me that I'm vetting them from the first email they send. And you learn immediately to identify the people who seem safe, the people who are not so much so. And I will do that entirely from the way they interact with me. So by the time someone's actually come through the front door, if I allow them to come through the front door, I feel quite safe and I feel relatively confident that someone who's um, going to behave. But of course, like anything, you get situations where you get someone who doesn't. Um, I've definitely been in situations where I've been uncomfortable either they've said things that have been deeply uncomfortable or they've touched me in ways that they shouldn't or they've been quite aggressive with what they want. Um, but I've never been in a situation when I haven't managed to slam them down and, 
you know, get them in line. Thanks, <laughs> and I think if I'm, if I'm deeply uncomfortable, yeah, I just won't invite them back. Of course, of course. But do you think that that sense of power that some people might get is could be also driven by the fact that um, I know that you, on your website, for example, you say that your clients can offer you gifts and things like that. Do you think that yeah. they can feel it's like a property thing? Ownership. Yes, definitely. Yes. yes. Um, you get ones who do it to kind of almost like a slightly daddy thing. They, they try and look after you or prove how they're looking after you um, by, by gifting you or trying to buy you things and like, and it's always, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for it. But occasionally, it can be a bit like that. It's almost as if you can't look after yourself. With certain gifts of you, it's like that you need them to provide for you. And sometimes you can see that is used to, yeah, kind of ask, ask assert some kind of control over ownership of you. Yeah. So it can be it's mostly gratefully received. It can be a bit uncomfortable at times. And, and what yeah. is this? gifting exist is this a sense is this like almost like a pre-come let's call it pre-session type of domination on your side for a client to be able to gift you yeah i mean absolutely some sometimes it's used as a way to kind of get your attention or to show their intent like so sometimes someone not met before they'll send you a gift to show that like, i am serious i want you to know that I respect your time and this is me showing how I respect your time. Um, other times it's you're, you know, you're someone I admire and therefore I want to show you I admire you by buying a gift. And then a lot of times it's kind of just like an admiration thing, you know, um, for a lot of submissives, particularly regulars, you fulfill something that's really missing in their life. And I'm very, very close to a lot of men. I spend a lot of time with them. I talk to them a lot outside of sessions. I, offer them emotional support and so you do almost kind of take on this like girlfriend role or at least girlfriend experience role and that's when it blurs more with you know almost like with traditional escorting you provide that for their life and they want to thank you and provide it back and it's usually just a way of giving thanks which is kind of lovely it's interesting um so i was thinking if anybody is interested in knowing a little bit more about this world what type of services do you provide and where so here I have Inanna Studios, which is a place based in North London. It's in Seven Sisters. And that's where I operate out of. So if you wanted to come for a session, that would be the place to come. If you're looking for classes, I offer private one-on-one -on -one classes from there, but I also teach at Coco de Mer in Covent Garden. In terms of services, there I, most things I provide. Like I said, my speciality is kind of kink positive, erotic, nurturing domination. I like a more playful, fun, um, sexual approach to say very disciplined, strict style of working. Um, but I really do offer most things. So if you, you can take a look at my website and it says that, you know, the general do's and don'ts, but I, I generally try and accommodate with people's needs. I love how specific your website is because it's very clear that you are very passionate about your job and that it's a job and you take it seriously. You say, what do you do? What do you don't do? And how to treat yeah. you? I love that. <laughs> that's something I think that's learned over time because you get a lot of people treating you where you don't want to be treated. And out of frustration over the years, you're starting to add, this is what I require. And I'm very fortunate that in this line of work, you can be very specific about what you require and what you expect from people. And you can let people know if they don't meet your expectations. 
And the same with what you do offer and what you don't offer. It really, you don't want to waste other people's time. You don't want your time wasted. So it's far better to be really, just like if I'm asking someone else what their limits are and what they're interested in, I think it's really important for them to know what my limits are and what I'm interested in. Firstly, so no one's time is wasted. And secondly, I want them to know that if they're coming to me, that I'm actually enjoying what I do. So it's really important for for me to know that they know what I enjoy, what I don't enjoy, and what I like to engage in. Makes sense. And because it's like you said, you don't want to lose your time and everybody else's time. Yeah, I want it to be an authentic and mutually enjoyable experience. Can you share your social media uh, tags and profiles and your website? Absolutely. Thank you. So on Instagram, my personal donations profile is at Adrena Angela. I assume the spelling will be on the podcast if you yes, yes it's Adrena Angela. If you want to rent or have a look at the studio, it's Anana Studio London or Anana Studio LDN. And on Twitter it is Inana London. Anana LDN. <laughs> so it's quite a lot to go through there, but yes, those are various places you can catch them. The website is mistressadrena.co.uk. So before we, we, we close this episode, this is the question that we, uh, a specific question that we make to all our guests, which okay. is how do you keep your relationship open and exciting and intimate? And I'm going to add one more thing to this question, which is, mm-hmm. are you always very into like kinky and different stuff as in your work or you're completely different in your uh, personal life? Oh, I love kinky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I do a lot of that. I think, I mean, I think intimacy is very, very important. I think that no matter what you try, no matter how wild it gets, it's really important to always retain the intimacy. So, you know, just take time to step back and spend time with your partner and talk to your partner and just touch and kiss your partner and make eye contact. And I like to mix it up. So obviously I love the kinky stuff, but I also love normal vanilla missionary sex I love that time where you get to be close to your partner and just like really physically connect with them so I like to mix it up I like to have that and then to have date nights where we we do weird ass stuff <laughs> you know to try completely try new things is always really fun and to push our boundaries but I really like to have the mix of both Adrena it's been a blast having you with us uh, I, I just loved knowing a lot more about this world which I had like a very wrong perspective. I had, maybe it's like the most common view, which is very much into, you know, pain, pain type of uh, sessions. And I think it's a lot more open to what people are looking for and, and, you know, their own pleasure than like a normalized vision of it. Absolutely. I think that is fairly normal. I think most people have a skewed vision of what it is because it's not something that's really exposed to the world other than you know the very cliched major portrayals of it or uh, yeah kind of cliches so I think most people do but it is definitely a far more therapeutic psychological and emotionally engaged practice that people are aware of. Thank you so much for opening our horizons and if you want to open your horizons as well follow Adrena and learn more about what she does. Thank you so much it's been a blast. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe 
so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.